Hey guys, welcome to TV with Friends. I am Chelsea James, and with me is my best friend in the entire world, Evan. Hi, Evan. Hi. All right, so we are recapping Watchmen, episode three. If you have not seen it, there are spoilers, so don't listen to this and go watch the show. Um, also, Banjo is in here, so if you hear dog sounds, that's what you're hearing. All right, so this is such a fun episode. We both really, really loved this one. And I think one of the main reasons why we loved it so much is because we both love Jean Smart. She is a goddess. I fucking love her. And I was introduced to her. I mean, she's been around forever, but I was introduced to her when she was in season two of Fargo. She was the mother of the Kansas, uh, like a crime family that dealt with the Kansas City mob. And she was just very in control, a woman you do not mess with. And, oh God, she can just, any accent, any wardrobe you put her in. She is a chameleon. In a, she can play all different types of characters, but she usually plays a badass. And this was pretty much, a, you know, a nod to that. Um, what is yeah. your, you were talking about Legion and how you were introduced to her through Legion. I was, I was reintroduced to her through Legion. Mm-hmm. Like, I remembered her from the 90s sitcom Designing Women. Fuck yeah. Pretty much like the 90s version or like the reincarnation of Golden Girls. Yeah. And she is that was, Delta Burke? That one? Yes. Nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it may have been part of TGIF at some point. Like, I mean, we're just aging ourselves up at this point. I remember yeah. Must See TV. I think it was, was it, wasn't it? Maybe it was Must See TV on Thursday nights on NBC. Well, it was all the TGIF. Like, they got it Friday, so we had, yeah. like, we had Family Matters, we had Step by step. We had Full House. Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World. Oh, we're in our 30s, is what we're telling you right now. Um, <laughs> but what did you. Okay, so I mean, she goes way back. What did you like the most about her character in Legion? Um, the mystery behind this character mm-hmm. is very intriguing because she knows everything. She doesn't automatically give it give off that she knows everything. Mm-hmm. But she has that particular conversation which we'll talk about I'm sure later. Yes. Angela. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very it's very given that she's very in tune, very um she knows what was that? Nothing. Go ahead. anyone at all. There's nobody no, no, that she can have chemistry with. No. No, not at all. No, she, she owns it. Mm-hmm. She owns it. What was, 
now kind of I, one of my favorite things about this episode was that knowing that she is Lori Blake, she is Silk Spectre. I think she was kind of walking us back a little bit into not necessarily what has happened in Tulsa or like the, you know, why they, what's happened post Dr. Manhattan and stuff like she's not giving too much away, but she's starting to introduce other characters and other places and scenarios that, you know, I think we had seen glimpses of these characters and going kind of like, huh, I wonder who that is. Okay. They're not going to tell us. And she's kind of putting those pieces together for us. And I think it's really interesting that she was, we were talking about, you were telling me about um, superheroes versus vigilantes and she was a vigilante and she used to do this. Um, and now she works for the FBI to kind of implant herself in these like sting operations where a vigilante will show up. She can catch them and put them in jail, which people don't really agree with, but she's kind of, it's kind of interesting how she used to be one and now she is against them and, and, you know, thinks it should end. I wonder why that is. That's why she can call Angela out. Because Mm -hmm. she knows, like she, she knows, knows the idea of being a vigilante. Yeah. In the first place. She knows what it means to hide a side of herself, which becomes, something kind of very psychological because it's like, okay, you're one person during the day, you're another person at night, yada, 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 then it goes there, and it's just like she's, she's ready to, she's destroying herself. She's pulling down the essence of self-spectrum because it's not her anymore. Mm -hmm. And even when her her partner with the FBI is like, oh, is, okay, can I finally get that autograph? She's just like, she's kind of like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, not me anymore. Mm-hmm. But she knows what it means to live that life. Yeah, and... and- I think, do you think maybe as we'll get into talking about her, we can talk about how she was Dr. Manhattan's lover, girlfriend, um, and girlfriend, girlfriend, yeah, partner, whatever. Um, yeah, more than they were more than hookup buddies. But I think it's really interesting is like maybe when we get a little bit more into what happened with her and him um, over the years and like, you know, going into present day, I think maybe there's a little heartbreak or, you know, just kind of like, I think, yeah, you were saying just kind of the illusion of it is just is just gone and it's just not right for the world anymore. Banjo, stop it. Oh, my God. Okay, his dog is killing me. Um, and let's talk about the phone booth that she goes into, which is the this phone booth in like structure in the middle of Tulsa, of like their town square. And you can call Dr. Manhattan and leave him a voicemail. And he'll listen yep. to it on Mars. <laughs> yeah. I thought that that was very interesting. Um what were the things, and when she gets on the phone with him, it's not like, hey, how are you? Miss you. You know, remember this, remember that. She calls him to tell him jokes. I mean, I, we're going to use air quotes with jokes because you don't necessarily have punchlines. Um, 
but what did you find interesting out of uh, the jokes and what do you think that, why do you think they set it up that way? What are, what are they trying to tell the viewers? Let me tell you a joke. So it starts like this. A, someone, someone walked into a bar, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I think it's meant to set up the introduction of a lot of the original Watchmen. Okay. Because all it is is reference to the comic. It's reference to all of the original um, Watchmen. And it's kind of brought you for fruition at the end of that kind of overarching scene throughout the whole episode because at the end of the joke it shows her in front of the, the Andy Warhol with a quote painting with her with Night Owl with Dr. Manhattan mm-hmm. and the fourth person fourth hero that I don't remember who it was and it's probably the comedian yeah they're gonna start connecting everything then they're gonna start throwing in mm-hmm. they get to acknowledge the comedian and the comedian's the one that kind of you get kind of you get go from the comic he's the one that's killed in the beginning of the movie yeah he's Negan right that dude yeah, from walking yeah, e- yeah. okay yeah, the movie by Jeffrey Dean Morgan Jeffrey Dean Morgan thank you yeah so it seems like she's kind of setting kind of setting it up and and, t- and like I said she's kind of walking us back through Watchmen, kind of in the way of like, what are the things that we need to understand? And I like that. It is it is helpful to people who've only seen the movie once and aren't that quite familiar with the comics. I think this is where the show, and I was listening to Damon Lindelof being interviewed about the show on a podcast, and he was, you know, kind of saying, it's very, you don't necessarily want to make a comic book series if you're just gonna go left if you're just gonna go completely away from it he's like if I was gonna do that then why wouldn't I just make another fictional show and so it's refreshing to see that everything's coming together and we're getting much closer to the original comics in terms of like characters and people were like we're becoming familiar with so I think I was very thankful that we did get that because a couple more episodes without explaining you know, who they are and who is who that could kind of get a little tiresome. Um, I also think it's interesting. She uncovered a lot of stuff about not uncovered, but also asked the questions that we want to know about who is Judd? What is, who is he really? What was he like really? And were the decisions that he made about the police force and for Tulsa, were those good decisions or, you know, cause she's, she, first of all, her character is extremely judgmental. <laughs> like, and as a judgmental person, I, I could like, like I pinged right on that. Um, she needs to get to know things before she can form an opinion. And her opinions that she have of Judd right now in this episode don't seem to be lining up like he's a great guy. Did you get that vibe? But does, does she really need to form her own opinion? Because she's, she's fishing for an opinion from Angela. Mm-hmm. She's fishing for it when she calls her out. She's fishing for it when she's kind of like sitting there you know, she knows, she kind of knows what's going on. Yeah. And she calls Angela out on, not even just calls her out, just 
literally calls her by name. Yeah. Sister and, Knight. Um, oh shit, I don't remember. Uh, um, hmm. Uh oh. No, I totally lost your shit. That's okay. Uh, I and going to that conversation too about um with Angela. It's it's very uh, Damon Lindelof does this a lot with characters. Um, specifically in The Leftovers, he will pair up characters who are unlikely to be put together in scenes. Um, like, I think in in The Leftovers, he puts Justin Theroux and Anne Dowd together. Those characters hated each other when her character was alive, but after she dies, suddenly he sees her and she's always with him and talking to him and, you know, telling him things. And it's just like, wow, you know, you would never think that these two characters would need each other or need to spend so much time on screen together. But I think it's now that we don't have um, Judd for Angela anymore, we need more than her husband. You know, we need more than her kids and stuff like that to really dig in there and figure out who she is and what's happening and what's happened in the last three years. But I think it's also great because whatever Angela is doing, she's not ashamed of it. She doesn't think she's doing anything wrong. And I think if anything, the Watchmen are kind, they're kind of fair about the way that they go over uh, to the seventh cavalry. I mean, she did like they did, go in there and drag them out. But usually it's like, we will interrogate you, put you in that room where you all these images go through your head with looking glass. And then, you know, if you're not a racist, you're not a racist on your way. But I think there's just, I think it just kind of secures Angela's character where she, you know, she makes that, Oh, sound, you know, and she's just like, Oh, I'm shaking in my boots. Oh, I'm so scared. I might faint, you know? And I just thought that was a great reaction because they are formidable opponents and they are just there. I don't think they're going to clash. I think they're going to have a partnership, but it's not going to be easy for them to stay on the same page about their opinions. No, because it won't. I feel like Lori is trying to kind of ditch the original Watchmen, kind of like the idea of being David Hoyke or even a superhero. Lori is trying to kind of skirt up that by becoming the like, FBI agent. Mm-hmm. So she's like, okay, I'm here, I'm legit. But she knows exactly what it feels like to be in the loyalty. Yes. And I think like that's kind of one of the things that we were watching in this episode was almost her digression in back into being a normal person. Mm-hmm. Instead of being a bit instead of taking on that persona of Silk Spectre. Yeah. She was just like, Okay, I'm not I'm not this person anymore. And her one connection to her being that person was Dr. Van Hunt. Is Dr. Van Hunt. Right. Her old boyfriend. So right. she's stepping into these one of these phone booths to just sit there and try to talk it out in the form of a joke, which mm-hmm. again is a throwback to the comedian and just her even trying to make a joke, which she doesn't succeed at. At all. <laughs> she does not. And it lasts like pretty much the entire episode. Yes. And it's a, it's a flashback. Almost a flashback. Almost a flash forward 
multiple things simultaneously. That's true, yeah. Be flattered by her her uh, her partner from the FBI. Seeing the FBI treat her like I think you said you said last night, like like kind of like a golden god where she's like kind of called up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Because she was one of them, yeah. So then she drops herself off of that pedestal because she knows that she knows what it feels like to kind of be a vigilante and not be recognized for what you've done. Mm-hmm. So that isn't. That's very interesting. Or to not have people agree with what you've done. And we'll take a break in a second, but let's wrap this up with her and then we'll come back, we'll come back and talk about her and Dr. Manhattan and the end scene. Um, but one of the things that's always been really interesting to me about superhero stories or vigilante stories or whatever is that's always really gotten me. And I really do also love villains mostly, but you get, sometimes you'll get to see a side of them that goes, who am I when I take this cape and mask off? My life is incredibly lonely because I have to put myself second and put the world and the greater good first. Is that a thankless job? It kind of seems like it. If you're not into celebrity or, you know, like Iron Man loved being Iron Man or whatever, but it, it hurt his personal life with his, with Pepper and having a baby. He's got no time for anybody. And I wonder if maybe she's, recognizes these traits in other characters like with Angela where Angela she lost Judd and that was huge because he was probably one of the very few people who truly truly understood her and the life that she's living you know she has a family but she has kids but you know you can't live the life of a normal person and you know that's probably a lot of what Lori's character is kind of going through is like I'm you know I'm the I'm doing great and I'm very respected for what I know, but like, God, what's the cost of it? And is it worth it? You know? We've talked, we've talked a lot about like the fact that this is commentary on the kind of the social climate of what we're going through today. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the representation of law enforcement when it comes to Angela, and she's looking at it as very black and white, and it's been seen on her character's end as being completely black and white. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the, the look of law enforcement nowadays is terrifies people. Oh, yeah. It terrifies a lot of people, even, you know, white, black, Hispanic. Oh, yeah. No what race or orientation or whatever, mm-hmm. you get pulled over by a cop, what's the first thing you do? You're shaking your boots, mm-hmm. pretty much. Even if you've done anything or not. Yeah. And I think kind of a really good look at the way that maybe law enforcement sees their actions mm-hmm. as opposed to reactions, but we're also watching reactions as opposed to actions. Oh. It's almost like X, Y, and Z. How do you explain X, Y, and Z? It's almost like a mathematical equation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that was amazing. We're going to take a break, and we are going to talk about uh, Dr. Manhattan and Osmandius when we come back. Be right back. 